0: Let us hear God's word uh, welcoming us into his holy worship. So call to worship from Psalm 95, verses 6 through 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Those beloved of God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Old Testament reading, The be reading all of Psalm 50 I'll explain briefly why in a moment so Hearing in God's inspired words, Psalm 50, 1-23 through 23. Psalm of Asaph The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth From the rising of the sun to its going down Out of Zion the perfection of beauty God will shine forth our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you, and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praises glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. So just briefly to highlight the reason why i reading the whole thing, you see two very distinct portions to that, how he speaks to his people, and how he speaks to those who maybe pretend or fake to be his people. So brothers and sisters, let us be comforted by that promise of salvation. He doesn't need us, as it says there, he's sufficient, he doesn't need the sacrifices, the animals that they might have offered in the past, But he is pleased by our thanksgiving. He's pleased by our joy. And of course, he is honored by our faith, which is established by his beloved Son. So it's in Jesus' name and through his sacrifice that we come to him today and are pleasing in him. So with that, let me read our sermon text. Romans 1. And I'll be preaching on the word called in verse 1. But uh, reading verses 1 through 7. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord. Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for uh, this day to be with your people and uh, Lord, pray for your blessing in the coming uh, minutes here for the opening of your word that we might see you and become more like you, that you would direct my words uh, not into the uh, fallible ideas of man, uh, but Lord, to your eternal truth that your people would grow thereby. So please do direct us to and plant these seeds in good ground. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is a pleasure to be back with you today, and uh, we're continuing our incremental step, steps through Romans, uh, fourth word, Paul, servant, then Jesus Christ as his name, and now to called. So remember that this is Paul's in a biographical introduction, speaking to these people he'd never met, he's highlighting a few key things about himself. So by the word Paul... Uh, they would have understood, whether by uh, rumor or by other uh, conversation, who he was, a former Pharisee, a new man in Christ, though. And we learn that he's claiming a servant status. He's not exalting himself. He's really bringing himself low, as all Christians need to be. But further clarification, who is he serving? Is he serving the emperor of Rome? Is he serving the synagogue chief? No, he's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to the fact that he's... Called, and next time, Lord willing, with I'm with you, when I'm with you, I'll we'll see what he's called to. That is uh, apostleship, and then further down the road uh, is the end of verse one, separated to the gospel. So that's his few key clauses of who he feels it's, or what he feels it's important to share with the Roman Christians about himself. So looking at this with you, uh, looking at calling specifically today, I want each of us to come to a better understanding of what calling is. Uh, There's a little bit of a heritage in our common culture. Even today we ask people, what's your vocation? And that actually is a Latin term, voca, for calling. And so we think of uh, employment vocation, but we're going to take that to a higher level today. And there's really multiple levels to view that at. uh, But one of the applications I do want to make at the end is for us to view our employment as a calling. It's not just the thing we do to get a paycheck. (laughs) It's an important task, of course. If a man's not working, if he's not providing for his family, he's worse than a heathen, as God's word says. So it's not unimportant to look at the calling of our uh, day-to-day employment, but even more important is the higher concept of spiritual calling. And that's what we're mostly looking at today. That really is what Paul is focusing on. So, uh, I'm referring as a multifaceted, not only to the Calvinistic concept of salvific calling... Uh, one of the links in the golden chain of salvation you're probably familiar with in Romans 8, but also to our vocational and other callings and our ministry callings. Even if you're not a called officer, a deacon, or an elder, uh, there is other calling uh, to do within the church, and we'll see that here shortly. So while none of us are called to be apostles in the capital A sense of the word, uh, which Paul is, to the office of apostle, all of us are called We're called in multiple ways. I don't want you to sit here and think, well, I'm not an officer, so I don't have a calling. I'm a woman. I'm not going to be a career woman. And so I don't have a vocational calling either. Well, you have many callings. Each of us has many callings. And I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Because a life without a calling can feel purposeless, aimless. God made us to be goal oriented. Some people are more or less goal oriented than others. God made us to have a purpose. And obviously our salvific purpose is the ultimate purpose. And then within that salvific purpose are the ministry callings, the employment callings, the family callings, the gender role callings, etc. So with that, as our introduction, to, for you to know that you definitely have a calling, probably multiple, several, all at one time, and they interrelate, but to know that God's call can and should provide direction, joy, and peace. So with that, first... Uh, let us look into just a strict uh, dictionary type of definition of calling, as you've been seeing this uh, trend in my preaching. It really wants to look first, what is the specific meaning of that word? It's so easy to get off track and start introducing cultural concepts, um, and some of those are appropriate in their time, but first to begin first with the dictionary, but then to know that a strict dictionary definition doesn't always der- uh, illuminate how it is that Paul and other scripture writers use the word, right? And we're very familiar today. You look up a word in a dictionary, you're like, well, that's not how my friend used it. So we start with dictionary, we move to context, and then we can apply it to our daily lives. So looking first at the dictionary uh, word here, uh, the Greek is kletos, which speaks uh, specifically to um, called to privileges or to function, uh, invited which is there's sort of an effectualness, you don't just show up to do it, but there's invited or appointed, which is to say assigned to something. So again, to be called is to be invited, to be uh, appointed into these privileges or functions. And uh, trust that on your spare time, maybe this afternoon, uh, you can look into the scriptures I've listed there. Uh, the companion word in the Septuagint, Greek edition of the Old Testament, uses the same word uh, in 1 Kings. And what is there is, you might say, a kind of low-level usage of calling. People are invited, come to dinner uh, at this banquet. These, the guests are the called ones. And then going through that list, we see a, a similar a calling to submit to Christ in a general sense, uh, effectual calling, that's the kind of golden chain uh, definition we might understand from Romans 8, and then being appointed to office uh, is what's understood in Romans 1, as well as 1 Corinthians 1, and being uh, devoted to Christ, united to him, in a very general sense. All Christians are called to be with Christ. Paul was called to be an apostle. so a little di- different sense there. But you can look up those uh, scriptures uh, that address those nuances on your time. I do want to highlight the fact that there's a second word used uh, very frequently, uh, more frequently in the New Testament, uh, "kaleo," uh, which is similar, uh, comes from a related root, "call aloud" or "invite" is the definition I put there, and I would understand them to be uh, functionally synonymous. Obviously, they're distinct; otherwise, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have directed the authors to use one word versus another uh, in these different places. Uh, So I don't want to totally flatten it and say they're exactly identical. But the key concept of calling, being vocally, we can hear it. Uh, Paul audibly heard the call to be apostle on the road to Damascus. We don't always hear that voice saying, young man, go be a policeman. Uh, Sometimes it is that clear. But for us to understand that God does call out to us vocally, audibly, to our hearts in our salvation. Sometimes it is for a young man, an older man coming alongside and saying, you know, I see some gifts you have here for a field of employment. Might you look into engineering or being a fireman or being a carpenter, whatever it might be. So uh, made especially clear in the word kaleo is that call aloud, that inviting. Come, do this, try this, or in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ, come be with me. And you can see uh, in those uh, dashed instances that almost every um, nuance in the first section is repeated in the second and so there really is a synonymous usage it would be improper to say oh Coletto only refers to this category and Kletos only refers to this category no uh, they both apply in uh, basically the same categories of meaning for calling so key point thus far is uh, 4 Romans 1, that we are called by someone to something, right? So, for the instance of a dinner, the host calls the guests and they come. In terms of salvation, trying God calls and people that he has appointed to salvation effectively respond. So, called by someone to something then sets the framework for how I want to proceed. So, looking at the next section, who does the call? kind of already given it away didn't I (laughs) but generally as the category is listed there superiors call inferiors right we don't take it upon ourselves uh, to call into a church office right a congregation as you're looking at uh, calling a new pastor seeks somebody and calls them a guy doesn't just show up here and say hey uh, you know I'd like to be your pastor Um, where's the parking spot no the people with the leadership of the elders call a pastor, and so it is in all of these instances of calling. In Romans 8:28, we're called according to His—that is, God's purpose. Right? It's God's will, God's purpose at work in salvation. Uh, in Jude 1, it's spoken there of being called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Revelation 17:14: Those who are in Him, speaking of Jesus, are called chosen and faithful. So again Christ is the functional one there. First uh, Corinthians one nine. God is faithful, the word says, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. So it's God by whom we were called. And again, not to be repetitive to make this point, a very important point though, Matthew 421 He, Jesus, saw two brothers and he called them. And we could go on with other examples. So over and over and over again is the superior calling inferiors, whether it's the master or what we might call the employer, calling the servant, the employee, whether it's the teacher, as it was there in Matthew 4, calling the disciple, or God calling each and every one of his people. It's the superior calling the inferior. But to move more specifically into our calling unto salvation, as I've listed there, the triune God personally and divinely calls us. may seem obvious, uh, but don't let it slip by. It is the triune God carrying out his purpose, exercising his will, acting personally, thoughtfully, willfully. His will be done, who calls us to be with him. It is by God we are called into a saving relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ and called to various labors in his name, what we'll look at later as various ministry callings. So our God is not not some stoic automaton uh, robotically uh, punching buttons and pulling levers to operate the world according to some pre-written plan. And let's not scoff. That actually is a concept of the Christian God that some people have out there, which is very much false. It's not that. Uh, nor is he a really subtle, um, astute, kind of deep fake or augmented reality tool putting a seemingly personal face onto some pre-programmed plan. Not that either. No, God is rational. He is perfect. He is infinite in his wisdom, power, holiness, knowledge, etc., and thus he is personal, caring, comforting, loving, wise, and powerful and effective in working out his plan that was established from the foundation of the world. So, with that necessary statement about the being of God, let us connect that to how he calls us. Calls us to salvation in him, and then calls us to various ministry roles, calls us to relationship uh, uh, in family. Into jobs in the workplace. So that's the who, right? The superior calling the inferior, and in terms of salvation and ministry, the triune God who is personal and divine in his calling. But a necessary companion to the caller is the what. What are we being called to? This will be the majority of our time this morning. We're called by someone to something. Uh, and the most thing we want to focus on today is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit calling us to, you know, dot, dot, dot. I propose uh, three headings here, four actually. Promises, practice, peace, and proclamation. First, his promises. And uh, let me read to you from Second Peter 1. verses 2 and 4, through 4 rather. So Peter writing, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, uh, as I tried to highlight there, in verse 3, we see the word called, and uh, that is the same word we've been looking at in this first section. And what is it we are called to? All things that pertain to life and godliness and this is uh, the second word for called uh, kaleo so it's not the identical word in Romans 1 uh, but as I've tried to establish it is a synonymous and a functionally equivalent word but then focusing on verse 4 so what's the result of that calling what is it we are called into in verse 4 God's divine power has given to us all things through the knowledge of him who called us, and then it says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So that by which identifies the vehicle, the mode by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. So it's through our calling that we receive these exceedingly great and precious promises. So friends, the same divine power that has given us all things it's just extraordinary. Pause on that. All things that pertain to life and godliness. As if that wasn't enough to have the all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's also by this calling that we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. And of course, remember, quoting from 2 Corinthians, where we know that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So it's in Christ and his calling calling into relationship with him that we have all these promises. And through these promises, that is, through faith, and in union with Jesus, the end goal of these promises is to be partakers of the divine nature. They're in the middle of verse 4. So let me read this again. I want you to see the stepping stones. It's the calling that is the foundation of all of these sort of three things which are intricately related. So reading 3 and 4 again from uh, chapter 1 of Second Peter. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. And I'll stop there. So again to emphasize that progression. Calling, knowing God, receiving His promises, and partaking of His divine nature. Now, I could just kind of leave it there because that is a succinct statement, but because that phrase partaking of the divine nature is, let's say, a little bit fraught, it can be confusing. If you spend any time talking with people in other cults, they often take that as some point of future deification of people, and they go really off into left field catastrophically with that. So I can't exactly, and it wouldn't be the proper time to fully tease out uh, the meaning of what it is to be partakers of the divine nature. Um, but let me give a little sample that touches on the gospel because remember in Romans 1 Paul is marching towards telling the Romans this is the gospel that I am called to as an apostle this is the gospel that I bring to you so Paul in his introduction is putting his personal biography in the context of the gospel and I believe that Peter is doing the same and I trust you to to check me later to be good Bereans by following up on the scriptures I'm putting here under 3A where I write the promise equals the gospel uh, and how we define that partaking of God's nature. So the gospel, and I remember I highlighted this a couple sermons ago, I think it was back in June, the gospel is not merely that we are forgiven of our sins. So the gospel includes that in an essential aspect of the gospel is that we are forgiven of our sins, but it's not merely that. Uh, It's also not merely that we have eternal life. The gospel does include that, and an essential part of the gospel is that God, in forgiving our sins, we have eternal life. So the gospel is all of that leading to the fact that our relationship with God is restored. The brokenness is mended. The image of God and man that was broken, catastrophically at the fall, right? That image was damaged. It is restored in Christ. Ephesians 4 is the key verse for that. His requirement that we be holy is fulfilled. That's an Old Testament statement quoted multiple times in the New Testament. Be holy, for I am holy. We couldn't do it before. We were born sinners, horribly unholy. But in Christ, through our calling, through his promises, we are made holy. So we can and will see him face to face and know him fully. Brothers and sisters, think of it this way. Adam's fall and our sin resulted in a chasm, right? A deep, deep, uncrossable gulf, uh, impassable uh, between us and God. The atonement erected a bridge across that gorge. Jesus' perfect obedience, uh, his sin-bearing death, his life-giving resurrection removed the barrier, you know, the no trespassing sign, it helped or enabled us, gave us that pathway to cross that bridge that spans the gap. But the atonement isn't there, it's a nice bridge to merely look at and admire, as if it's merely some beautiful architectural piece. I mean, we should look at Jesus and admire him, but we enter into him, we are with him, and in this uh, image we are crossing the bridge that he is, and of course fits well with the idea that Jesus is the way. That bridge is the way. He is the way to God. So the promise here in 2 Peter uh, to be partakers of the divine nature has to do with being in God's presence. That which we couldn't do before because of our brokenness of sin, our essential unholiness, is solved in the gospel through the atonement. We are made holy such that we can be in God's presence. So, in a nutshell, very briefly, that's what it means to partake of God's nature, is to be made like Him, to have the image restored, to be able to be with Him. Right? An unholy object can't be in His presence. It would just be burned up in fire, destroyed, but in Christ, with His holiness, with His atonement, satisfying all justice, we can and will be with Him. That is guaranteed in Jesus. And that is the Gospel. So I can, hope you can see that linkage there, that our calling brings us into all these amazing things. What I've termed there as the promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus.
1: And it all comes
0: through our calling. Next is our practice. So, stepping back to this list of Ps, fulfillment of God's promise, promises in Christ is our long term destiny. But the Spirit also gives us a road map for the presence. So I refer to this as the practice of our calling. So we saw promises that give us that destination, where we're headed. God will certainly fulfill all of his promises. But what do we do in the meantime? Right? How do we live out this calling in our daily lives? We do it with practice. The practice of our calling. And uh, further in 2 Peter... So it's convenient that uh, the Holy Spirit has guided Peter to really provide this same roadmap that Paul is talking about in Romans. So let me uh, read on verses 5 through 10 in 2 Peter. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And this is the Apostle Peter's admonition to grow, right? To grow. So it's here in Second Peter. Uh, it's in the practice of these things that he lists the self-control, the perseverance, uh, the uh, perseverance in godliness, uh, the brotherly kindness, and the love. Uh, all of those attributes, which we'll see in just a moment, repeated by Paul in Colossians. But here we see it's in the practice of these things that we show Uh, we demonstrate both to our own hearts and to the world who may be watching, uh, we show that God is at work in us. He lives, right? He is true because we're different people. We've been transformed and we're living that out in the world. So if you ever wonder if the promise of being with God Is a promise made to you? This touches on the idea of assurance of salvation. Many people with a tender heart and recognizing, I've sinned. Am I a partaker of God's promises? If I'm saved, why am I doing these things? Well, if you ever wonder, and to some degree that's a, a useful pondering, not to be meditated too disparagingly in, but if that does cross your mind, if you ever wonder if the promise of being with God is a promise made to you personally, and cry out, Lord, I need you. I need to grow in you. I want to be more self controlled. I want to persevere in difficult circumstances. I want to display brotherly kindness. So use these attributes here that the Holy Spirit speaks of as being evidence of our calling. Cry out to Him to do, to continue to do, to do more of that good work in your heart, that he, you would be able to bear good fruit uh, in His. Name. So again, point for the time being a fruitful faith, bearing good fruit, is what Peter speaks of as being an evidence of our calling. And now let me move to Colossians. I apologize for that. Colossians 3. reading uh, verses 12 through 14 of Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. So what Peter referred to as fruit... uh, Paul here refers to sort of the image of clothing. Take off that old garment, right? The dirty clothes of the natural man put on the new garment of Christ. So the apostle here, his admonition to grow in mercy, to grow in kindness, meekness, long-suffering, etc. Very similar to Peter's statement there in 2 Peter 1. So the divine author speaking similarly through the two human writers is consistent. We're called to grow in... And to demonstrate Christian character. Not to earn God's favor, certainly not to pridefully impress our neighbors, but to evidence God's working in us. To evidence that calling that He has reached out to us with. But that's not all. Uh, Next verse in Colossians makes one more point I want to highlight for you. Verse 15. Uh, Let me read 14 and then 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called. called in one body and be thankful. So you see here this thread leading through uh, the New Testament writers' uh, instructions to us that issue of calling. What is it we have been called to? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. Speaks of in the body there. So we, in the body of Christ, have been called, and this is the second uh, Greek word, kaleo, for calling, we've been called to peace. And uh, I want to say just really briefly, there's really two aspects to this peace. Peace with God, obviously, right? We can't have any other peace, uh, in this world without peace with God. So, this ties back to the gospel that I noted earlier. Natural man is fallen, His uh, rebellion ruling his heart. It's a fundamental, scriptures use the word enmity. That means a conflict, a fighting, sort of hitting your head against the wall. We have that essential enmity with God. And it's only by being born again, only by having a changed heart, can we have a new rule to live by God's word in righteousness written on our hearts and only have a new ruler the King Jesus taking hold so being ruled by God and that's worked out through his calling of us we have peace with God and have hope of joyful fellowship with him for eternity but as I have into that earlier it's not only that uh, Paul says here In 15, in one body, referring to the body of Christ. So here we see the relationships on a horizontal level as well as the relationships with the vertical. We can have peace of God in our hearts, and therefore we can have peace with man as our neighbors. And that's why I'm very thankful in God's providence we had the Heidelberg Catechism questions on this Lord's Day about church discipline. How is it we're reconciled with our neighbors? How can we have peace with brothers and sisters uh, in the congregation and why I want to bring up the Psalm 50 there is we have peace with God and then he establishes peace for our neighbors. So friends, we are called to peace. This is one of the outworkings of our faith as blood-bought Christians is to have peace with God and to have peace with our neighbors. And then coming to the last section of, again, to make sure we understand the roadmap here, we're discussing... What is it we are called to? And the last thing is proclamation. And let's go back to 1 Peter again, chapter 2. Chapter 4 I was in 2 Peter, now we're in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So notice the purpose, again, the something we are called to, the purpose for which we were chosen, made holy, regarded as special, given mercy. So as a result of this great work by him, for us and in us, what does it work to do? There in the middle of verse 9, to proclaim his praises. We are called to proclaim his praises. He's called us out of darkness into light for a reason. It's so that we would proclaim the praises of him who did that calling. And it's God that we praise, right? We don't praise our intelligence. We don't praise the theologian who did that video series we got to watch. What well, we do thank God for each of those uh, means by which he brought us into salvation. But we praise God who brought us out of darkness into light. And the second thing, as I put in your outlines there, we proclaim it. Widely, if you start looking at who are we supposed to praise, who are we supposed to thank and give glory to for this great salvation and for all the promises we can look forward to entering into, and indeed those promises that we in uh, so many ways presently enter into, who is it we proclaim those praises to? The world, everybody, everything around us. God says the rocks are going to praise him, shouldn't we more so? I think sometimes we're a little shy, a little thinking, well, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable in this context, at the grocery store, or wherever. Uh, but here, in a variety of scriptures, we see we're to proclaim it widely. So if you look up there, who it is that's praising God in Revelation 5, in Psalm 73, and Psalm 79, in other places. And I say it's not be- merely because I'm an evangelist that gets to travel around and I go stand on street corners or attend, um, you know, uh perversity parades, and things like that. Uh, so we each have a different calling as to how we might proclaim God's praises. But let us each remember that this is spoken to Christians. Right? As Christians, we have a calling to proclaim God's praises and to do it widely. To ourselves, uh, to unbelievers, to extended family, certainly as parents, to children, as uh, Christian youth, to your siblings, to proclaim God's he has done marvelous things. Let's proclaim that to those who need to hear it. So with that stated as our general overview of what it means uh, to be called in general, and uh, what it, who it is that does the calling, and what we are called to, I want to kind of circle back uh, to Romans 1, as well as draw some applications uh, for us. So, putting in context verse 1 of Romans, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel, etc. So Paul was called. and In the biographical sermon about Paul, first word there in this first clause of the first verse, we showed his despicable condition and how God really did vocally and with bright lights called him and said, Paul, you're mine. You're coming with me. And he said, Lord, what do I do now? And he followed. So we, Lord willing, each of us who is saved has been called. Uh, When I have the opportunity to speak with you about apostleship, you'll see what that means to be an apostle. As I've already stated, none of us are going to have that office. uh, But others might have other church offices. Others certainly have different positions in the church uh, and in the family. So I don't want you to forget where we started here. This is about Paul being called as a Christian and an apostle. But I also don't want you to leave it there and to think, well, if I'm not an apostle, that's like a neat thing to study about, but what do I do with that myself? So by way of conclusion and application, let us remember that being called of God is personal, meaning one-to-one. Each of us individually has been called or needs to be called by God. And it's practical. God speaks to each one of us through the witness of his Holy Spirit. And we respond in practical ways as I've highlighted the something that we are called to. We've covered that uh, in those sections. Which leads to, well, what is the practicalness of each individual here uh, being called? So note, first of all, uh, very briefly, the general category of life callings. So like I said at the beginning, I can guarantee that each and every one of you is called uh, multiple callings. So the very fact that you're in a family, um, and uh, either as a husband or a wife or a child, a grandparent, each of those is a calling. So you exist in this room, and you had a family because you came from a mother and a father somewhere, so I know that you have a calling by way of family relationships and their specific duties and responsibilities within them. Uh, Husbands are to sacrificially love their wives. Wives are to lovingly submit to their husbands. Sons and daughters are to honor their parents. Those are the practical ways. That's the fruit of the spirit ways for us to live out that family relationship calling. Parents are not to uh, provoke their children. And so within each of these relationships, there are specifics, there's practicalness to those individual callings. And uh, as I touched on earlier, Any business owners in here, any managers at some larger firm, you have employees under you. You're a master, so to speak. You're a superior in that context. And you have specific ways to live out that calling, uh, to give them their proper wages, to uh, appreciate their work and affirm their contribution, etc. And then employees, we all have uh, duties that we owe to our superiors, to be punctual, to not steal time, and all of those uh, Christian virtues. And that, that is, And what I want you to see is whether it's as a mother changing diapers and doing dishes or as a boss doing project planning for some you know massive highway that's going to have thousands of cars go across it a day. In each of those roles, what society might say, little things, big things, in all of those, we have the opportunity to proclaim God's praises. All of those are callings. All of those, God's word has specific instructions for us. And in all of those doing well at those instructions, we can proclaim God's praises. So that is the uh, life callings. And I started to meld into the vocational callings, what we commonly call vocational in terms of employment. So yes, your vocation, uh, even if it's unpaid. So maybe that's a handy way to fit in uh, work within the home. Uh, My wife homeschools, I understand some families do here. Do you get a paycheck for that teaching? (laughs) Is it a labor of love that fills your day with a lot of work? Yes. And so that is a vocation. That is a calling. We don't work for a paycheck, even if we do happen to get one that is handy. We work for the living God. As it's worded in Colossians 3, Do it as the Lord and not to know. So, brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you to know you have a purpose here. And maybe you're desiring to know more purpose in terms of God's will for a call to the ministry or to know more clearly God's will uh, call to an uh, area of employment. And uh, may the Lord bring uh, godly people around you to advise you in that. But let me just simply say, may you do every activity of every day, every interaction and every relationship and every task. Uh, Monday through Sunday, do all of this acts of piety, self sacrificing love, submission, honor, washing the dishes, everything, everything as unto the Lord as you live out your multiple callings. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your inspiration whereby you guided Paul to record this for us that we might be challenged and encouraged, uh, drawn to you in humility and dependence. We certainly can't do any of this our own. We can't enter into the calling of our salvation on our own. Uh, We can't enter into other human relationships on our own. And Lord, that it's only by your grace we can do things well. So I pray that we would be mindful day by day of the foundation of your grace and we would live that out Uh, to a watching world, Lord, that they would see us and they would know we're different. Uh, Not perfect, of course. We know we're not perfect and the world is going to see the same. But in our imperfection, we can point them to you that they might enter into this same calling, that they might be the ones that to the next generation, to their different uh, fields of impact, can be the ones who are proclaiming your praises for you are the good God who brought us out of darkness into light. As I pray in Jesus' name, Amen.